You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. It's Locked On Hornets by the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. And guys, we're presented by Built Bar. I want to remind you that you can use promo code Locked On to get $10 off of your first box of Built Bars at, yes, you guessed it, BuiltBar.com. Again, Locked On, all one word. You can space it if you want to. It doesn't matter. Just use promo code Locked On to get $10 off of your first box of Built Bars at BuiltBar.com. Also, Guys, make sure you're subscribing to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, and follow us on Twitter. Follow the show handle on Twitter at Lockdown Hornets. I'm on Twitter at Walker Mail, Walker M-E-H-L, and Doug's on Twitter at Doug Branson, L-O-H. No Doug Branson today. I'm going solo. I'm going dolo. And in order to prepare for going solo dolo on this podcast... I went through the worst kind of rabbit hole of research that you could possibly go through, and I would contend that maybe it's the worst kind of rabbit hole of research that anybody could go through on the Locked On NBA podcast network. Guys, I went through a lot of research on the Charlotte Bobcats, and not only just the Charlotte Bobcats, because contrary to popular belief, there are some moments We like Gerald Wallace, who's going to be named a lot today. He's actually going to be the main feature, really, today. But we've got a couple of playoff appearances, right? I have to stretch. But I I didn't even bother with some of those things. What I really did was what led to the 7-59 and season, a couple of what-ifs surrounding that, and what could have changed. Now, I say that as a tease. It's the worst tease ever. Please, God, don't turn off your phone right now. Please don't turn off the device that you're listening to this podcast from. I promise it's interesting. Now, it's it might be an empty promise. It was interesting to me. I promise that it's interesting to me. And if I talk about it in a way that's intriguing to me, maybe you'll find it noteworthy. I don't know. We're going to find out together. Please just continue to listen. I promise there are a couple of points that I want to make. We will go down the rabbit hole of what if Michael Jordan and the Charlotte Bobcats Decided not to trade Gerald Wallace. Decided not to make some moves that led to that 7-59 and season, which would eventually get them the second overall pick in the following NBA draft lottery, which led to MKG. And then that led to maybe the biggest what-if of all, of all time in not having a chance at Anthony Davis, right? I want to go to the what-if before that. That kind of started with trading Gerald Wallace. We're going to get to that in the last couple of segments in the show. First, I do want to go towards a poll, towards something that ESPN has worked on. What ESPN has done is they have created a starting five, the best starting five of all time for each franchise in the NBA. And I thought that would lead to an interesting discussion. Uh, There's four guys that are locks, in my opinion, and then there's only one real debate that at least I came up with. I feel really comfortable with having at least four guys in there. I imagine you know who they are, but there's really one interesting debate. So I told you guys what the theme of the day was going to be. We're going to be doing these what-ifs. I imagine Doug's going to continue the what-ifs on Friday. Uh, Gerald Wallace is actually even in this little segment that we're going to do with the top five, uh, the, the best starting five of all time in Hornets history. So what ESPN came to the conclusion of, they, they had Kimba Walker as the starting point guard. They had Del Curry as the starting two guard. They had Glenn Rice as the small forward, Larry Johnson as the power forward, and Alonzo Mourning 
as the starting five. It seems like that's a pretty reasonable all-time starting five for the Hornets. I imagine a lot of people and their starting five would look a lot like what ESPN came up with. There's only one exclusion that I think we should seriously consider, and that's Gerald Wallace. Gerald Wallace not included in this. We often forget about Bobcats history. Understandably so. It was a really bad franchise. They were really bad. I just, I'm, I'm fresh off the research, man. It, it's, it's awful. But Gerald Wallace was really good. Gerald Wallace, one of the better defenders in his time with the Charlotte Bobcats, made the all-star appearance. It's the only all-star appearance ever for anybody to wear a Bobcat uniform at the time he was wearing a Bobcat uniform. Of course, Kimba Walker would go on to make an all-star game, but only as a Charlotte Hornet. So Gerald Wallace was good. Now, the thing that I was tinkering with was leaving Kemba at the one. Muggsy, an all-time Hornet, all-time great. We, we love him here in Charlotte, but clearly not better than Kemba. Kemba, the best Hornet of all time. So clearly Kemba is going to stay at PG. Glenn Rice has to be in there. There's no question about it. But what I toyed with was kicking out our beloved Del Curry. I'm sorry. It's what I tinkered with. Just stick with me. Kicking out Del Curry... Moving Glenn Rice to the two spot, he'd be a big two. Remember, Doug and I kind of talked about he's a little bit he's surprisingly big, bigger than we remembered. Even John Fokey was mentioning that when we had him on a rewatch. So moving Glenn Rice to the two, implementing Gerald Wallace in as the three, and then, of course, keeping Larry Johnson at the four and Alonzo Mourning at the five. Al Jefferson, fine the one year. He's really, really good. I love Al Jefferson. I'm not going to disrespect him by saying fine, but clearly Alonzo Mourning deserves to be the starting five in this scenario. The only debate I had was kicking out Del Curry, putting Glenn Rice as the shooting guard, putting Gerald Wallace as the small forward, as opposed to what it is now where ESPN has Del Curry as the two and Glenn Rice as the three. I don't know what I want, though. It's not like I looked at this and immediately thought ESPN was wrong. I thought I was pretty comfortable in doing the Glenn Rice at two and Gerald Wallace at three thing. But then I started to look at Del Curry's stats. And I kind of just have been under the impression that, you know, Del Curry was a really good player. I always thought he was good. But I just thought Gerald Wallace was kind of significantly better in his time uh, with the Bobcats. Defensively, there's no question. And this is what it ultimately comes down to. If you were to have these guys go at it with the other best starting fives of all time or just even whatever scenario, whatever competition you want to put those guys up against, Gerald Wallace, the better defender, Del Curry, the much better shooter. But Del Curry, you look at his numbers for the Hornets. Del Curry, from 1991 and 92, from that season all the way to 96 and 97, Del Curry shot above 40% from three. Every single season, all those seasons consecutively. And he's a career 46% field goal shooter. 46% from the field, 40% from three. That's on his career. You look at the numbers that he put up with the Hornets, he was constantly averaging at least about 14 points per game. In the meat of his time with the Charlotte Hornets, the dude was putting up about 14 points per game. There's a couple of seasons where he put up 15. There's one where he put up 16, and that was the sixth man of the year award season in 93 and 94. So he's an amazing shooter. And I think if you left Del Curry at the two and Glenn Rice at the three, think about all the shooting you have on the floor, one through three. You have two of, yeah, I'll put it up there. You have two of the best shooters of all time on your team in Del Curry and Glenn Rice. I say it all the time. 
I, I still can't wrap my head around the numbers that Glenn Rice put up in that three-year stretch with the Charlotte Hornets. They're absolutely crazy. They're crazy. And to put that with Del Curry, who also did not shoot below 40% from three for you know, seven consecutive seasons, and then you put him alongside and put both of those guys alongside Kemba Walker, who became one of the better shooters in the NBA after struggling early, but became one of the better shooters in the NBA. That's insane. And what that does is it spreads the floor for a Larry Johnson to go to work. And of course, you have a guy like Alonzo Mourning, who, yes, he had a little bit of touch, as we saw in that game winner against the Boston Celtics to give them their first ever playoff series win. But Alonzo Mourning, he's in the post. We all know what it is with Zoe. And so I think I have to stick with Del Curry, even with the way better defensive lineup being Gerald Wallace in there and having Gerald Wallace kind of save you from the defensive lapses that might come with Del Curry and Glenn Rice at the two and three. Because you think about also a guy that didn't really need the ball. Gerald Wallace didn't need it, but Del Curry certainly didn't need it, right? Like Gerald probably needs a little bit more than what Del does. You have LJ, you have Zoe, those guys are going to be getting it. Kemba Walker is going to be getting it. I think Del Curry makes more sense. He's the better shooter. It opens up the floor a little bit more. You're, you're sacrificing defense, but Gerald Wallace, to me, even if he is the better guy on that end of the floor, I just didn't want to put him in there. I, I, I shouldn't say that. I wanted to put him in there, but I couldn't do it over Dell. And so I agree with ESPN. Like, that was the biggest debate that I had. I don't know if there's anything else that I'm forgetting. It was only Al Jefferson in there, but the one year, yeah, he'd made an all-NBA team. But I couldn't think of anybody else that I would legitimately consider putting in this starting lineup. I think that I think ESPN got it right. Gerald Wallace, I apologize. We're going to talk about you the next couple of segments, too. But I think they got it right with Kimba, Dell, Glenn Rice, LJ, and Alonzo Mourning. Before we get to our what-if scenario, I do want to talk to you a little bit more about Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting bar out there. It's real chocolate. It has amazing flavors. It kind of tastes like a candy bar, despite it being an energy bar. It has great flavors. It's not dry. Okay, I hate these other energy bars that you get, and it's just like a desert in your mouth. You need water immediately after eating it. You don't need that here. It's a beautiful thing, Built Bar is. It has an amazing combination of low-calorie, high-protein, and low-sugar. There's no crazy additives. If you compare it to the most popular men's bar that's out there, it has half the calories, it has seven times fewer carbs, seven times fewer sugar grams, and it has more protein. It can be that good for you, I promise, and it can taste that good. I know you might not believe me, but you guys should go try it. You have to try it for yourself. I'm telling you. I'm not saying you should go do it. I'm commanding you to do it. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON, all one word. You can space it. I don't care what you do. Locked on and get $10 off your first box at www.BuiltBar.com. You get $10 off. Leave it in your pocket. You get a great product and you get to keep $10 more than you originally would if you just go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON. Okay, guys. It's what you guys came here for. We're going to talk about the Bobcats next on Locked On Hornets. This is Locked On Hornets. So if you don't believe in the moon landing, mm-hmm. then what would you say is the greatest human achievement? I think the greatest achievement of all time, and I think it's Vince Carter doing 360s clockwise it's rather really than counterclockwise. Tough. I've tried it. It's really tough. It's time for more of the Locked On Hornets podcast. What if season is in full effect, and I've had a lot of fun with it. Doug and I have gone through a couple of the more notable what if scenarios with the Charlotte Hornets slash Bobcats franchise, including Anthony Davis, which absolutely could have, 
led to a lot more success here. You substitute Anthony Davis in for MKG. Anthony Davis, clearly the better player. Who knows what would have happened after his rookie contract was up, after he would have maybe decided to go test free agency, but Anthony Davis pretty clearly would have put this franchise in a much better place. So who knows what would have happened? That is a big what if. We've gone through what if the Hornets never leave from New Orleans. We went through whether Alonzo Mourning, actually if he would have stayed here, what that would have led to, having him, Larry Johnson, Muggsy Bogues, Del Curry, having that entire core together, what kind of success would that have led to? We have some interesting ones. Let's go to the one that I also find pretty intriguing. It's rough, but it's intriguing to me. I want to go through the what if on the moves that led up to that 7-59 and 59 season, including, and most importantly, what if the Bobcats never traded Gerald Wallace on February 24th, 2011? I want to go through that what if scenario. So let's backtrack just a little bit. So in 2009, the Charlotte Bobcats actually started the season 3-7. and seven. After they go basically 3-7 and seven through the first 10 games, what the Bobcats decide to do is trade for Steven Jackson. So Steven Jackson, Captain Jack, we all love him. Steven Jackson comes to the Bobcats in 2009 with AC Law in exchange for Raja Bell and Vladimir Rodmanovich. So goodbye, Raja and Vladimir. Hello, Captain Jack and AC Law. So after that, Jackson and Wallace, they help the Bobcats with a couple of six-game win streaks in the playoff season that helps them rise to above 500. They go 44-38. and 38. They make the playoffs. They get swept by the Magic. It's the next season. You guys know about the first playoff appearance for the Charlotte Bobcats. And again, led, of course, by Steven Jackson and Gerald Wallace. So the Bobcats... They, they saw that they were starting off the season pretty rough. Steven Jackson comes over, and it actually leads to a playoff berth. So the Bobcats are coming off of their most successful season in franchise history once the Bobcats were here in Charlotte. Let's look at some of the moves that they made that offseason leading up to the following year, right? They go after Dominic McGuire. <laughs> they trade then, eventually, Alexis, as I call him, a Jansa, apparently. They trade Alexis Agensa and Tyson Chandler to the Dallas Mavericks, to bring back good old Matt Carroll, Eric Dampier, and Eduardo Nahara. They eventually dump Eric Dampier because they don't want to pay him the money. They shed some money because they trade Tyson Chandler. And an interesting what if there, Tyson Chandler goes to the Dallas Mavericks and becomes a huge cog in that defense to help them beat the Miami Heat in that 2011 finals. So Tyson Chandler, huge piece to help the Dallas Mavericks win that, uh, win that championship. Okay, there's a little subplot what if. What the Bobcats also do, they sign Sean Livingston that season. And then Sharon Collins, Kwame Brown, you know, they bring those guys aboard. You know, what? Uh, okay, that's fine, right? Like, they don't make a huge amount of moves to continue to try to keep this to be a playoff team. What Michael wanted to do was he wanted to slash a little bit more payroll. So then the following year after their playoff berth, the Charlotte Bobcats start 11-19 and through the first 30 games, okay? They fall eight games behind five hundred. You start to hear rumblings about Gerald Wallace maybe being on the move. The record before the Gerald Wallace trade was 25-32 and 32 through 57 games. Then the deal comes together to send Gerald Wallace to the Portland Trailblazers in exchange for Dante Cunningham, Sean Marks, Joel Prisbilla, Cash, the 2011 first-round draft pick, and a 2014 first-round draft pick that eventually would be Shabazz Napier in 2014 
And then we would see in 2011, it would be Tobias Harris. Interesting side note there, Tobias Harris, he would go to Milwaukee along with Steven Jackson in exchange for Corey Maggette. And in that trade, they also get the pick that allows them to select Bismack Biombo from the Sacramento Kings. Anyways, the Bobcats trade Gerald Wallace to the Portland Trailblazers, and that deal reportedly comes in seven minutes before the trade deadline even comes about. So <laughs> you almost kept on to him, and Rick Bennell tells the story all the time about Paul Silas doing some media access or you know doing interviews with media saying that Gerald Wallace is going to stay here. And of course, it's seven minutes before the trade deadline. I know we've become accustomed to seeing some crazy things, but it does go to show you how close they were to possibly keeping Gerald Wallace, despite having dangled his name out there for a couple of months. Michael Jordan comes out. He says, the first two round draft picks we received will be part of the foundation that the future of this team will be built upon. Again, the draft picks ended up being Tobias Harris and Shabazz Napier later on. Not exactly pillars of the franchise at that point. Those were the picks that eventually would come about. The Bismack Biombo selection, at least you had him for a little while. We know exactly how that would turn out also. So that was the quote from Michael Jordan, which was funny. Another interesting part about this deal was the fact that when they made the trade, Charlotte was one and a half games behind the Pacers for the last playoff spot, squandering any hope of that actually happening. Even if they were... I think seven games below 500 at that point when they made that trade, sending Gerald Wallace to Portland, they were only one and a half games behind the Pacers. Now think about this, right? Like this is Michael Jordan, the guy's documentary that we just watched all as a nation because of this pandemic. We watched it all together, looking at Michael Jordan's crazy competitive nature. The second year he breaks his foot in the NBA, wants to go back into the game, even if he could risk a very serious further injury to try to get his team to the playoffs. And he discusses how much he hates the idea of tanking for a possible better draft pick. What he could have done is could he have made a move at the trade deadline to try to bring in some help to help Steven Jackson and Gerald Wallace to try to go after a playoff spot, or could he have just waited it out to see if the Bobcats would have eventually passed the Indiana Pacers to get into that last playoff spot in the Eastern conference. But instead Michael does something I think most people would have bet against. If you were to go all the way back then, we certainly would have bet against him trading Gerald Wallace, but even making a move that would signify you're a seller, I think people would have bet against because we know how competitive Michael is. We just saw it in the last dance. So Michael actually decides to sell. He trades Gerald Wallace for pieces that aren't going to help you get to the playoffs at this point, squanders any hopes of that happening. The Bobcats get to the end of the season, and if you'll remember in that 2011 NBA draft, who did the Bobcats select? They selected Bismack Biombo, as I mentioned earlier, with the Sacramento Kings pick they acquired in the Steven Jackson trade, and they select Kimball Walker ninth that season, having not made the playoffs, but still having a decent enough record to not finish within a top five chance at some guy. If they were to have held on to Gerald Wallace, they would have probably either one made the playoffs and selected 15th where the Indiana Pacers were selecting, or they would have selected maybe 14th, 13th with a better record and maybe not had that chance to select Kimball Walker number nine. If they don't trade Gerald Wallace, Bobcats probably never select Kimball Walker. And instead, if you look at that 2011 NBA draft, some talented dudes taken between 11 and 15. 
2011 11th overall was Clay Thompson. He had Alec Burks go 12. 13 and 14, you get Markeith Morris and Marcus Morris. And let's just say the, the Bobcats did end up passing the Pacers. The Pacers selected Kawhi Leonard and traded him to the Spurs that season. Just saying. Just saying. <laughs> no Kemba Walker. No best player of all time in franchise history would have even been here. Not in my opinion. And you could have had a chance to select maybe a Clay Thompson had he finished worse in the standings. Or better, at least, in the standings, I should say. Worse in the lottery. One of the Morris twins could have been selected. Or Kawhi Leonard. Who knows who Michael and that Charlotte Bobcats team would have liked. I found that interesting. Continuing to go down that rabbit hole. If you were that close to holding on to Gerald Wallace, at least for one season, then there was a good shot that Kimba Walker, we're talking about seven minutes before the deadline, before that trade comes through. Maybe you decide to hold on to him and go for a playoff spot. And if that happens, no UConn product that's fresh off of the championship as the point guard in stores. We have one more segment left to go here. Locked on Hornets podcast, Locked on Podcast Network. You are listening to the Locked on Hornets podcast. And that was also a connection of a connection because the new Carolina Panthers owner, David Tepper, looks like the guy trying to defuse the bomb at the elementary school and die hard with a vengeance, which I thought looked like John Hurd, a.k.a. Kevin McAllister's dad. A.k.a. Peter McAllister. I never would have got that. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Looking at the history of this franchise, it just goes to show you how crazy unlucky they are. Like, it, again, I never try to absolve them from their own wrongdoing and from their own mistakes in deciding to draft the wrong player or deciding to sign somebody to a massive contract like Nick Batum. But it does go to show you we killed that team for being mediocre for so long. We killed the Charlotte Hornets for just being happy, trying to make the playoffs for so long. But perhaps Michael was shaped and the Bobcats were shaped because they tried to tank already and it didn't work. Now, yes, partly because they couldn't draft. Rich, Rich Cho was a bad drafter. He hit on Kimba. That was basically it as far as who gave you the value of the selection in which you picked. And Michael eventually made that higher in Rich Cho. We know that he did meddle in some picks. And he refused to fire Rich Cho until 2018. So that falls on Michael. But it goes to show you also that they tried. We know in 2012, they didn't get Anthony Davis despite having the worst record. They succeeded. <laughs> they succeeded in having the worst record. It's what we beg some of these teams to do, to finish with a worse record so they can have a chance at the best possible player, have the better chance at the best possible player within the NBA draft. Bobcats did that. They succeeded, and then they failed miserably, uh, miserably by not selecting Bradley Beal, Damian Lillard, but even just not having the chance at sure-fire number one overall pick, Anthony Davis. And then in 2011, they actually get it right in selecting Kimba, a couple picks after they selected Bismack Biombo first, but they do get it right in selecting Kimba. And that was after a last-minute decision to not try to go for a playoff spot in the Eastern Conference. Last-minute decision, deciding not to do it. And then Michael Jordan holds on a little too long, you know, way too long, when they did the initial tank, and they decided not to do it until, again, you 
decide not to sign Kemba Walker, uh, and then the Boston Celtics go after him and decide Kemba should be their point guard post Kyrie Irving going to the Brooklyn Nets organization. And now here we are again. Hopefully we don't have to look back five years from now, six, seven years from now, ask some what ifs, and hopefully we are taking the correct route. I think you do like the P.J. Washington selection. I've seen a couple of redrafts have P.J. Washington pretty high, higher than what he was originally selected by the Hornets. So P.J. Washington looks good for now. Deciding to draft SGA and trade him for Miles Bridges certainly does not look good right now. But remember, they did get an extra second-round pick. They do get a guy like a Devontae Graham. You know, who knows if they select Devontae Graham if they already had SGA. Who knows? Who knows what kind of what-ifs we'll be asking in the future, but Doug will be asking you some what-ifs, asking some questions of his own in the what-if category when he comes on with you on Friday here on the Locked On Hornets podcast. That wraps up this edition of Locked On Hornets, and thanks again to Built Bar for supporting the show. Now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Locked On NBA, Chad Ford's Big Board, Hollinger and Duncan. Make sure you guys have a great day, and Doug will be back with you on Friday.